Hey everybody, my name is Zach, and I have seen Black Christmas. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Fine, I'll Watch It. Uh, Once again, my name is Adam. I'm Johnny. And I'm Bridget. And we are joined, as you guys heard up top, by Zach. Zach, welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, happy to have you. So, uh, obviously, as you guys heard off the start, Zach has seen this movie. Um, Now, I know typically you would have heard somebody, obviously so far it's been one of us, um, say that we haven't seen a movie um, but what's different today in Zach having seen the movie is that I have not seen this movie. Johnny, you have not seen this movie. And Bridget, you have not seen this movie. Um, so a rare uh, triple reverse, fine, I'll watch it, uh, where we all <laughs> wanted to 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 watch this uh, this Christmas movie with a horror twist. Um, but Zach, you are here because you are a, a big horror fan. I am a big horror fan. I'm pretty picky when it comes to horror movies. And um, I can't see it all. If it's scary, it's got scary vibes or a really menacing acoustic cover of a pop song, you're not automatically in from the get go. <laughs> nope. I, I have a pretty strict criteria. What? So what what would typically be in your criteria for seeing a horror movie? Oh, for whether I'm going to give it a shot or not? Yeah. Oh, that's hard to judge. I usually do my judging after I've seen it, unfortunately. And when it comes to the horror genre, you have to you have to weed through a lot of bad stuff to find the gems. That's true. Yeah, I mean, it's as with anything, you know, any genre can be rife with just like the worst thing. It's just it's all here, and for every like for every gold comedy gem, there's sixty five terrible scary movies. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that 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 makes a ton of sense. So. Um, yeah, we obviously want to switch things up a little bit. We've done pretty standard run-of-the-mill style Christmas movies up until that point, and I know we kind of left you guys all with a cliffhanger last week about what this episode would be, um, but we figured we'd kind of mix things up a little bit. So to to Bridget and Johnny, what are you guys what are you guys thinking about this? Uh, how do you guys feel about, I guess, horror movies in general, and how do you feel about a a scary take on the uh, on the Christmas classic? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just for everyone who's listening, uh, Zach is my first cousin on my mother's side, and I've known him for over 30 years of most of my life. Uh, and very early on in our relationship, as early as five and six, he was showing me movies such as Nightmare on Elm Street and Chucky and Halloween and, you know, a lot of things that maybe uh, one kid to another shouldn't be showing <laughs> It, mm-hmm. it it uh, caused a lot of problems with our parents and uh, other uh, issues, but uh, I am more thankful for it because he's made me a big horror fan myself. Um, I think a lot of our likes uh, and criteria for what we think a good horror movie is uh, are fairly similar. Um, so uh, he has seen this. Um, I haven't heard what he has to say about it, um, but... It, from what I understand, it's from the 70s, Zach, this movie? Yeah, mid-70s. Uh, mid-70s. 74 um, so to be you, exact. Mm-hmm. 
Right. So you're kind of like right before like the golden age of horror movies, which is kind of like the 80s, I believe, Zach, if you want to chime in there. I think that's something that everyone can sort of agree on is that sort of decade or, you know, decade-ish uh, time period is where you find maybe the most classic of horror movies. Um, what do you think about that? Yeah, there's definitely some excellent horror movies from the 80s. But there's some modern gems, you know, and there's some older stuff that's really good, too. So, uh I feel like the the first Halloween was late seventies, was it not? Yeah, yeah, very right. late seventies. Yeah, I think and this we, was actually before Halloween, right? Yeah. Say that again, John. Yeah. No, I was think I was. I'm pretty sure I just even uh, in passing and looking at looking up when how to watch this, I saw a year which I think was is it seventy four, Zach, or what? What year is it? Mm-hmm. Yep, it's seventy four. Okay, seventy four. Um, so I love this time period of slasher movies. Again, I'm not sure if this is even a slasher movie. Uh, all I know is that it's a horror movie. Uh, it's Christmas, and it's maybe dark outside because it says black in the front of it. Um, <laughs> but uh, beyond that, I have no uh, idea what to expect from the movie. Um, I just kind of hope it aligns with some of the, you know, a lot of stuff that's captured sort of in-camera type of horror instead of like the more... Uh, CGI heavy and unrealistic sort of uh, experiences that maybe newer movie horror movies share. Yeah, yeah, that is that, that'll be exciting to see how they kind of meld that all together. What about you, Bridget? How do you feel about the the horror genre as a whole? Um, it's not it's not one of my go tos necessarily, but I in general I enjoy it. I guess I don't have like strong feelings about it either way. Mm. Like I'm definitely like I'm not. I'm not as into sort of like the the like classic like slasher films uh, mm-hmm. as much as I enjoy sort of like just the slight generation before of like um like your Rosemary's Baby, Exorcist, um the tension mean, stuff. Yeah, like a more like thrillery like um, more ominous. Like, yeah, at like Silence of the Lambs, like any kind of like true crime suspense kind of stuff has always been like if I'm looking to be like a little more unnerved, that's where I'll kind of go. Um, but I'm kind of I'm open to it. Like horror movies when I was growing up were like completely verboten, like in mm. my household. So like because you have nightmares. Yes, and I, I would have uh, because I was that kid. Um, but, you know, I've come to enjoy them as an adult. I just don't have, I think, some of the same affinity for the genre as, like, mm-hmm. Zach and Johnny might. Yeah. I'm the, I mean, I'm the same way. I've definitely seen horror movies before. You know, I've seen your your Halloweens, your... I don't even know that I've seen all of Nightmare on Elm Street. Probably bits and pieces. Or, again, it's probably one of those things that got thrown on TV at a Halloween party and I sat there and watched a good chunk of it. Like, I honestly don't... No, but like I'm not so I'm not averse to seeing a scary movie or like a tension building style, like old school horror movie. Um, but it's definitely not my first my first choice. Um, you know, I'll, I'll like I'll go to see it or if someone highly recommends something, I'll, I'll definitely check it out. Um, but it's never going to be a thing where I'm like, ooh, new horror movie. Like I'm not subscribing to Shudder to, to get to get my full fill <laughs> right. of, uh, of horror movies. But but this one's unique in that it is centered i assume given the name around the christmas holiday zach is that a fair assumption obviously we want to try to be yes. as vague and you know because none of us the three of us don't know anything is that correct outside of 
we know that it's the Christmas movie. We know that it's the horror movie and we know it came out in 1974. And I feel like that's, that's, that's it. Uh, well, old... and, and Zach has seen it before. That's, that's yeah. the only yeah. other fact that I know about it. Um, I've seen it mentioned in like lists over like the past few years as like, as like a film that like, if you're a horror person, you should see. But mm-hmm. again, cause I'm not that into the genre. Like this is like, right. I have seen this same sort of thing where it's ended up on these sort of lists that you have to see. And again, when we were sort of researching holiday movies to see, it ended up on some of those too, oddly enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I know there is this sort of aura around the movie that received rather well, or maybe it wasn't at first and now it's sort of a cult movie. Um, so, and the fact that, you know, I, we, I mentioned to Zach before the podcast, if he was interested in joining and what movie we were going to watch. And he said, yes. So I'm going to lean on the fact that maybe Zach does enjoy this movie and he wants to be a part of it. Uh, or he just wants to see us torture because it's a shitty movie. So I'm not sure which one it is. Yeah. So so, yeah, a little bit about that, Zach. What, what are your thoughts on this movie? Like, when did you first see it? Did you see this as a kid? Is this a more recent thing? And, and how do you feel about Either the movie as a whole, the movie is a Christmas movie. Like, what what are your thoughts? And again, try to be as vague as possible. Yeah, so I'm so glad you asked. I am trying to be vague, and that's why I was a little bit afraid about what I should say. Yeah. Um, however, uh, I, I, I think the best way to go into a movie is knowing absolutely nothing. So this is, this is beautiful, especially with a horror movie. You want to go in knowing absolutely nothing uh, yeah. if you want it to have its full impact. So excellent. And I'm very glad that you guys mentioned that it's a slasher because that kind of uh, opens up the door for me to say some things that I wanted to say. Um, Yeah, because before we were doing this, you were very hesitant of like, what can I say? What can I not say? And we felt bad because you can't bounce the idea off somebody else because nobody else on this episode has seen it. (laughs) So it it is a bit strange for you, obviously, in in that regard. Um, But you know, so what? What specifically about the slasherness of it do we do you think we need to know or should know going in? So it's interesting because uh, both Johnny and Adam, all the horror movies you mentioned were slashers, I believe. Bridget mentioned a couple that weren't slashers, which was mm-hmm. interesting. Um, uh, it, also, uh, Child's Play, which Johnny referred to as Chucky, also a slasher, an interesting mm. type of slasher. Um, so this one. Uh, John Carpenter's Halloween, I think it was 79 or 78. Um, Yeah, somewhere in that range. Yeah, it's credit for being the original slasher and just inspiring the genre of slashers like Freddy Krueger, you know, Friday the 13th, Jason, um, Freddy Krueger from Nightmare on Elm Street. And it gets credit. Halloween gets credit for a good reason because it's an excellent movie, just mm-hmm. an excellent horror movie. And yes, it is like a, like a gold standard of slasher. However, this movie that we're going to watch tonight, Black Christmas, came out years before Halloween, and it deserves credit, credit as, if not the original slasher, like uh, the Like the slasher. proto. Like, yeah. Yeah. The pre-first slasher, like the the blueprint almost. Right. And yeah, John Carpenter uh, basically was thinking, like, if there was a sequel to this movie and if it took place on Halloween. So that's kind of, you know. Oh, interesting. Okay. Okay. Yes. Yeah, that is that is pretty interesting. Obviously, you know, knowing nothing about it, that is, that is cool. 
because um, that doesn't take anything away from it. I don't think that colors anybody's you know judgment necessarily. No. Um, but it does kind of lend credence to the fact that like this is something popular. Um, so Zach, what is your familiarity outside of just having seen it? Like, is this something you've have, have you had repeat viewings of this? Like, is this something that's on your Christmas playlist when it comes time to to watch a holiday movie? Yeah, like when did you see this, Zach, originally? So that's actually interesting. Considering how much I love this genre, it's a big surprise that I didn't watch it until last year. Um, and okay. my wife and I, you know, during the month of October, it's the one month that she'll watch horror movies with me. And we watch Christmas-themed movies around Christmas. So this came up last year, and I was surprised that I hadn't seen it before. You know, I read up a little bit about it, and I'm like, geez, this is like the original slasher that inspired sort of the genre. I, I have to give it a shot, and I liked it. So I think I could just okay. leave it there that I, I give it a thumbs up. Okay. Um, I mean, I, I guess without getting into specifics, how much of this is focusing on the like the slasher elements versus the holiday elements. Like what is kind of the balance of horror movie, Christmas movie? From what I can remember, I think uh, there's elements of both there, but I think it's more so a horror, you know, that has Christmas elements take place during Christmas. Okay. Is the Christmas more like, um, like how it is in Die Hard where it's mentioned and then it's gone? Or is it like, a through line that like this is absolutely Christmas time and various elements are, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think it remains part of the setting throughout. Okay. Again, I've only seen it once. Okay. Um, but from what I can remember, yeah, it's going to be part of the setting throughout. Okay. Okay. And uh, so Zach, what do you think uh, our reaction is going to be to this now knowing our history of, uh, the our shot the uh, the horror genre our experience with it what are sort of your uh, your thoughts now uh, us going into it and what do you think how we're gonna react to it I think Johnny will like it and I'm interested I'm kind of excited to find out what Adam and Bridget are gonna think <laughs> <laughs> should we be now I th- I feel like we need to all kind of set the ambiance the same way are we are we all doing this lights on or lights off. What are, what are we thinking? Uh, I, I, I got the lights on. Okay. I'm alone. <laughs> I, I, I have I have an assortment of Christmas lights, and I got a little Christmas tree, so that'll probably be the only illumination in the room. Uh, yeah. But whatever, it's Black Christmas. It's suited. It's suited. So. Yeah, I think I'm That's gonna do the cool. same. I'll probably do the the Christmas tree only, uh, just to kind of see if I can set the ambiance a, a, a bit more. Um, now, Zach, uh, having just seen it, you know, for the first time last year, have you like read up any uh, anything more on like the? I mean, obviously, you know now that it was kind of like the prototype for Halloween. Have Have you done any like deep dive research in terms of like the lasting impact of it or the cultural impact? Because I know the one other thing I know is that there were. I think two or maybe three like reboots of this or reimaginings or remakes. Um, do you know any, like, have you seen any of those or do you know anything about like the, like the cultural standing of it beyond it's, it's on a lot of lists for good horror and good Christmas movies? No, I think I would have to be hard pressed to look into the sequels. Um, I don't think this is one of those occasions where it continues to, uh, well, they're not. Hey. I don't think they're sequels. At least I don't think. I think they're remakes. Yeah, I think there not... was a remake in 2006 oh, the re- and 
another one that came out in 2018. So those are definitely no's to the remakes. Absolutely not. And I, but I do think I, I'm pretty sure there were actually sequels that came out uh, oh, okay. late seventies, maybe in the eighties. And those I not really willing to give a shot either. Okay. So what is it like? Uh, like black Easter and black <laughs> Memorial day. <laughs> I really don't know. It's supposed to be a continuation <laughs> of what a new director thought was the truth. Right. So, yeah. It's kind of like, eh. Yeah. Okay. Is there any kind of pedigree that we should be like behind this that we should be on the lookout for? Like, has the director done anything? Or... Oh, so this is funny. Last night, I clarified that it was Bob Clark. He's the director. Okay. Last night, I texted Adam, and I said, it was Bob Clark who did A Christmas Story. And Adam was like, I don't know Bob Clark, but I'm pretty sure he makes bad movies. Yeah. Because Bob the... Clark is the director of tonight's movie. Yeah, so a, a couple <laughs> nights ago, we were talking about Christmas movies, um, and, and I lamented to Zach. And I don't think I've mentioned it on, on this show before. I do not like A Christmas Story. Uh, it's Whoa. just Okay. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's, it's not a movie I enjoy. I, I actively avoid it. I think when Bridget's it's going into cardiac arrest. Yeah. Um, so I mean, we're not we're not going to get to it this season, uh, this Christmas season. But I think in, in future Christmas seasons, we'll probably get someone who's never seen it and we'll do an episode. And I don't like it. It's so um, <laughs> Bridget's beside herself. Um, so yeah. So he mentioned that to me, uh, and then had the follow up text because I don't remember who you thought directed Christmas Story the first time. Um, but then you're like, no, it's this dude. And I was like, I don't know either of those dudes, but I'm pretty sure the dude that made Christmas Story makes bad movies. So, <laughs> All right, so actually the guy going back, going in, I'm kind of a little excited to see what this has. Because I don't think they could be further opposites. <laughs> this is the same guy who did a right. Christmas Story. He likes That's Christmas movies, apparently. Yeah. Wow. So the guy who directed A Christmas Story directed tonight's feature, A Black Christmas. Or okay. Black Christmas, excuse me. He also yeah. did Porky's, if you've seen Porky's. Those are three okay. ridiculously separate. <laughs> yeah, right? I, yeah, there's no overlap in that Venn diagram. It's yeah, two, no. It's three a, circles. Well, to be fair, yeah, two of them will overlap with Christmas. That's but, true. But, uh, and then one way on the opposite end of the Yeah. Unless there's Christmas right. Porky's, that's the only thing I think could potentially include right. all three. And what's the gory scene a christmas story with a tongue on the pole <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah all right um, so now now i'm extra oh, excited okay. it's interesting. yeah you shoot your eye out yeah okay all right well see i'm now i'm now more excited for it because it's the complete opposite of a christmas story in terms of what kind of movie you could potentially make so we'll see if that uh if that changes anything for me um, I love that fact. I'm, I'm very excited now. I was excited yeah. before, but now I'm that much more excited. Yeah. Um, <laughs> very so intrigued. glad. So glad we could pique your interest. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Yeah. It's been <laughs> tough over these past, like, past few years. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm personally excited for it. Um, again, just uh, a fan, fan of the horror genre. It's uh, escaped me one way or another over the years. Uh, but I'm glad I'll be able to check it off my list tonight. Bridget, your last thoughts going into it? Uh, no, no, no big thoughts. Uh, smooth <laughs> brain right now. Um, no, I'm right, all right. Okay. All right. Uh, do we want to try in unison to say, to, to say what we do going in or, or are we going to do it? I separate? suppose we could try it. Fine. Fine. Uh, I don't I'll know, watch, watch I'll it. Watch it. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Good enough. Yeah. I, I thought like I would, we, the I'll watch it part, we all came in. Yeah. I mean, you weren't supposed to, but it works. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm right, going to watch, watch it again. again. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, those that watched it with us here on this podcast and those who may have watched it separately or just listening just right along the way. Welcome back. Uh, we have all finished watching the 1974 horror film Black Christmas, our outside-of-the-box Christmas movie, for this week's episode. And I feel like we're going to have a lot to discuss. Uh, how's everybody feeling coming out of it? I mean, not necessarily movie reactions-wise, but, like, how's everybody feeling? How's the, how's the you know, can you cut the tension with a knife, so to speak? How's everybody doing? Virgil, why don't you go ahead? Dude, I'm so amped to talk about this movie. <laughs> I'm just, like, so, I'm, like, bursting at the seams. Like... Just like one, I really enjoyed it. Like yes. I thought it was great. Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> and it was it blew away my expectations, and just has given me like just a lot of food for thought. So I'm just very excited to talk about it with you all. So that's where I am. What about you, Jim? Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um. I'll get more into it later on, but I think a lot of it has to do with the appreciation of it being before a lot of uh, milestones in horror. Yeah. That like I see a lot of callbacks and things that people stole from this movie, or maybe maybe get this stole it from early on. But um, a lot of appreciation and respect for a lot of the uh, new things they uh, introduced to horror. I would say. Yeah, I mean, this is very much, as we were discussing uh, ahead of time, uh, and to Zach's point about being like kind of the prototype um, for it. And I really liked it. I liked it a lot more than I thought it was going to. Um, I liked the the feel of the, I liked the horrorness of it, I guess, um, because it, it is uh, called uh, like a throwback. Uh, granted, it wasn't at the time. It was new and revolutionary. But in terms of <laughs> what we've all seen since, it is very much a, of its time. And I like that about it a lot. Um, I have one major problem with it that we'll get to. Um, but I don't think that kills it for me that, you know, uh, right. cause I just, I had, a, I had a good time with it. Um, Zach, how about you? This is, you know, your, this is the second time you've seen it. Yeah. How, how did you feel oh. coming out of it the second time? It's exquisite. It's, <laughs> it's like eating a delicacy. Um, <laughs> Was it impacted at all by knowing the like the outcome and the through line of the movie? Did that like affect you at all the second time? Like, were you looking for anything different as you were watching? Like, how did you go in and approach this? So, um, I think that's the sign of a really good movie is that it's not impacted in the slightest that you've seen it before. Yeah. And I'm. You asked everybody how they were feeling in general, not even related to the movie. Oh no, we'll um, get to that part of it. <laughs> uh, so I'm feeling excellent because I just really enjoy watching w when someone succeeds making a horror movie because it's a difficult thing to do. And then secondly, enjoying it with a group of people like you guys just yeah. makes it that much more enjoyable. I right. will say I do really, really wish that we all could have been watching this one together. I know we've said oh, that for the last yeah. couple, um, which is, you know, it's the sad, the sad reality of it. Because um, like Johnny, you mentioned you know, last week, I think that, you know, you wish that you, we could have all been together for Christmas vacation because it's a, a laugh ride and, you know, comedies are usually enjoyed pretty well uh, in groups like that. And this right. one, I feel very much the, the same. Um, so 
I, at the very least, Zach, I'm sorry we couldn't all watch it together, but <laughs> yeah. the discussion and the the fact that you can see us on on you know video call makes it so that way it's kind of similar. But uh, but yeah, I am I am a little sad we couldn't all be together for this one. So we've kind of all said that we you know enjoyed the movie. It seems like everyone's pretty high on it now. Let's uh let's kind of dig into it. Does anybody sure. have anything that they really want to like? Do we want to start with the at the end, do we want to start on the whole? Like, does anybody have anywhere that they would like to, to begin? Zach, you have your Zach, hand up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't need Teacher. to know that. A little peek behind the curtain, man. The fans always like to hear what's going on behind the scenes. It's always a little, <laughs> little sneak peek. Hugely important in a horror movie would be our villain. Yeah. And in this case, um, you know, Jack the Ripper is so so relevant uh today because they never figured out who did it Mm -hmm. the zodiac also huge and we just have no idea here and we don't have any (laughs) bruce wilding off right now we don't because i have a lot of true crimey like i had similar vibes okay similar thought process yeah yeah go on so um the the fact that we don't we have no idea here i like that we don't have any backstory on this evil character um, and leaving it ambiguous, I think there's an extra level of fear that we don't always get in horror movies. Uh, also the realistic nature of it, it's more realistic than so many horror movies and that makes it even scarier, right? Uh, this guy wasn't like an all powerful, like unstoppable. So he could just show up in a group of people and take everybody out. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of horror movies have that type of villain, but this guy had to be strategic. He had to attack people when they were alone when nobody else was even within earshot and, you know, potentially going to disrupt things. So th- that realistic nature of it, I really enjoy that. Yeah, and, I uh, I did as well. I thought that was like, and especially the point of view shots that you get, uh, like him skulking around and stuff right. like that, um, that lends a lot uh, to that aspect of it. I will say, though, the, the resolution or lack thereof is my big problem with it. Ooh. Oh, so, so like I think that's probably like the highlight for me is that like it ultimately wasn't like who they alluded to being who was the boyfriend who was. Well, I'm glad Peter, it wasn't. Peter, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm glad it wasn't that. I, I am glad right, it wasn't right. that. Um, but I will say, and I don't even hate that we don't know at the end. The thing I don't like about the ending and the ambiguousness of it is that he's still in the house and everyone just. Like, <laughs> right I, yeah i thought they would have like discovered the bodies in the attic by that point and i was like okay and i like yeah go ahead. Go, ahead. go ahead i was gonna say like it, I, to me i kind of laughed at the end because not only like the phone ringing but like you see uh is it claire claire's head yeah, with the bag like, like in the window in... just like still there <laughs> and beautiful. it's just like it just yeah it was such a great shot at it's the iconic. end yeah, yeah no. um I just think that – sorry, go ahead, Bridget. No, but – and I, I see why you feel that way, Adam. But, like, in some ways, the, like, ambiguousness of the ending that's sort of predicated on, like, all right, they're all in Jess's room and, like, everyone's there. And then all of a sudden they just leave and they like, shut the lights off and then there's one guy standing outside and, like, yeah. nobody checks the attic. So much of the the sort of plot is driven by, like, mismanagement on the part of police and like sort of men in these women's lives that should be doing something different, leaving justice fate. Like again, once again, like she's endangered because 
everyone around her is a fucking clown. Yeah, and I know, <laughs> I know that that like you know police work in the seventies isn't what it is now, yeah. but I have to assume that when they find out through the most like <laughs> convoluted phone tracking process. Oh, I have so many thoughts on that. I was like, I need to dig into like the, how they actually trace calls back then because it looks so hectic and chaotic and it's like watching some guy at the science center like use like lightning bolts and like some sort of like the towers yeah. where like we're like some sort of, it's, it's like, like you know completely outrageous it's that thing where like you know at, at the science center like you put like a marble down a slide or something like that and like yeah, a kid yeah. will do that and then they'll run to the other end because they want to like see the like marble going through the right. maze or whatever it was that was that guy was that but, yeah, it was like Tesla, like in the early days, like trying to figure out how to harness yeah. all this power. But like, so, okay, so they the fact that they know the call is coming from inside of the house, which again, love that. I don't know if this is the first instance of that, or if this is just like before it became too tropey. Um, you would think that even the worst cop, even the guy at the behind the desk, who is I'm pretty sure the worst cop, <laughs> yeah, that. You would look throughout the entirety of the house for clue. Like, I know that they think they found the guy, but, like, you'd think they'd just make sure, like, did he act alone? Did he leave behind, like, a murder weapon? Like, is there anything else that we can glean on this situation? Right. Despite the fact that cops, you know, could be, like, police work back then could be terrible. And I'm sure the root of it is men don't believe women ever especially cops and i'm sure that has that's probably 99 if not 100 percent of the reason why um it's just like for me when it when it ended and it did had that really cool pullout shot which i absolutely love yeah, i was just like uh, that just seems like that one loose end is arbitrarily left there when like i wouldn't think it would be um and that that i think takes away from the realism and again we're watching this in 2020, not 1974. So I don't know what life or police work or whatever was like back then. Um, but for me, that was like a big, like, ah, oh, if, if only it had just like, if he had gotten out and you knew that he had gotten out and they didn't have that, like him freaking out in the attic scene one last time. And then the phone call rang, I would have loved it a hundred percent more. It would have been perfect. It still would have been that ambiguous. Who knows? We still don't right. know if it was him or not, but at least then there's not like this huge gap in reasoning, at least from the perspective of the time period in which we're watching it. Bridget, you yeah. nodded a lot, threw your hands around. What, <laughs> what do you think? What? Well, I was just one of my notes sort of like along like the um, like there's multiple instances where like both um, the sorority sisters like go to the police and they're like, oh, well, she probably ran off with a boyfriend. And like mm -hmm. that is very typical of police work at this time. Same yeah. with that 13-year-old who gets killed. Um, again, very typical. It's not really until the 80s that you start to see the advent of, like, if your child goes missing, you don't have to wait 24 hours. So, mm -hmm. like, in some ways, like, that's very realistic. And I just, like, was sitting the, there watching this movie and, like, just sort of thinking about, like, the atmosphere of the 70s and sort of the the historical context of what is going on at the time and it mm -hmm. just colored a lot of my experience of the movie so like the first thing that I thought of sort of along the lines of what Zach was saying on a sort of true crime bent mm -hmm. um was um 
the Ted Bundy Chi Omega murders at FSU, which oh, technically yeah. happens after this movie, but where he goes in and like murders a bunch of women living in a sorority house. But even predating that in 1966, you have the Richard Speck murders, which is essentially like almost a beat for beat, like example of this movie in real life. Uh, mm. He breaks into a dormitory where there are a bunch of student nurses. It's unclear initially if it's a robbery gone wrong or not, but he takes nine of them hostage and like over the course of an evening kills them all one by one in front of each other, except for this one girl who hid under the bed and escaped. Wow. So that would have occurred eight years before this movie comes out. So I'm like, okay, that's going on. Mm-hmm, right. And then I'm thinking kind of just about sort of, it comes out like right at the tail end of like the, the second wave of feminism in this country. So like just to throw out some sort of sure. for you. Yeah. So in yeah, the I 19- mean, Oh yeah. No, go, no, go ahead. Bridget. I didn't I, Go ahead. Yeah. So in the 1960s um, is when women are first able to open a bank account legally on their own. Mm -hmm. In 1963, you have the Equal Pay Act. So women cannot be discriminated against, like in terms of pay based on on their sex. Um, 1964, uh, sex discrimination in uh, in employment is also criminalized. 65, you have uh, the Supreme Court, Griswold v. Connecticut which means married couples can now legally access birth control. Uh, 1972, Einstein versus Bard means single women can have access to birth control legally. 73 is Roe v. Wade. Mm-hmm. Uh, 74 uh, is the Equal Credit Opportunity Act, which means like in addition to bank accounts, women can now, like you cannot discriminate against women if they want to apply for a mortgage, apply for a credit card. Um, and in the 1970s, that's when you start to see the criminalization of marital rape. And then it sort of ends in 1980 with the failure of the Equal Rights Act. And so, like, having, like, this movie comes out of that really turbulent period. Mm-hmm, and, like, right. sort of thinking about that, like, sort of sets a lot of the themes of, like, women are being preyed upon, like... The authorities are supposed to trust in the people in their lives. They're supposed to trust in, like their right. faith is being shaken, like. And then it's yeah, just for, a great thriller. Yeah, for me, like I, I think what I would love to see is a little more motivation and mythology behind the villain. I love how ambiguous it was, but it's sort of tapping into like, why is he preying on these women? Like, what? It, there was a point where I almost wanted to turn the subtitles during the phone calls because I couldn't. Mm-hmm. I only made out like little bits and pieces, but it got to the point where there were so many calls coming in that I wanted to sort of like analyze them and like hear like what is he <laughs> exactly saying and start like putting it together and start doing again like you said like a Zodiac killer type of thing where is he saying things that are just random and stupid or is he actually like trying to put a puzzle together for someone to solve so there was a point where i tried to like pick up on words and by the end when it didn't matter anymore i was like oh well i guess that was kind of a little bit of a waste um <laughs> well i it wasn't like yeah. i was trying to do a new york times uh crossword puzzle while i was watching no. the movie but um no and, but no i get your I was, point because i was digging a little bit maybe deep into like okay well what is the motivation behind it because I, I, was, I was starting to think it, it maybe isn't phil like is he really like that pissed about like her not doing the abortion or not trying to get married or anything like that. I'm like, is it really just all that? Um, and I, that's what I, like, I almost was about to say, like, this movie was just okay because of that. 
But the fact that he ended up did dying and it wasn't him after all, I was like, okay, now I really like this movie because now it's like it has nothing to do with that at all. Um, but yeah, no, there's a lot of underlying themes and tones. And like you said, Bridget, like there's always some cop that has to be stationed outside the house if there's not a male living at the house. Like it's like it's 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 there all over the place. And especially, you know what's funny? In, in the cop, too, is from uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, Zach. Oh, yeah. The father yeah. in Nightmare on Elm Street. Wait, we're um, the detective? The one who was actually uh, good, yeah. The one who was actually like a good cop yeah, while the I other like ones that. were like... The detective. Yeah. Um, he had great he, instincts, too. Yeah, yeah, he had great instincts, and like he had the same sort of like instincts in Nightmare on Elm Street, too. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, a lot of a lot of good points on that, Bridget, for sure. Yeah, and that's a different... Obviously, it's a different perspective than, than we would all have. Um, so, I was... Because uh, I was definitely thinking about that as we were watching it. I was like, okay, Bridget's going to... she's she's gonna gonna be in the thick of this because like i even had to look up at one point because i i remembered obviously roe v wade being an early to mid 70s thing and i was like was that the same year as this movie was it the year before was it the year after because that you know there's this whole big like underlying abortion subplot um with you know the last girl standing and uh you know her boyfriend and i was trying to think like okay is she not telling the cops because it's still technically illegal to have this like why why wouldn't she just come out and say it but knowing that it's like within the year of it Mm -hmm. happening and this could even have been filmed prior to that decision we don't know when this was filmed um so that i mean the fact that they're so close together um and putting that real like it's really cool the fact that we're taking these real world things that are happening of the time and relating them to the through line of this movie and the different plot points of this movie. But it, they did it in such a way where it's not like, I mean, and maybe it was at the time, but it doesn't seem now like it would have been beating you over the head with like this, mm-hmm. you know, like this point of view or the this thought process or anything like that. It just seemed like a natural, you yeah. know, right. extension the, of I think- real life. Yeah, the assumption is, like, the audience is going to, you know, like, pick up on these things. Like, they're not going to necessarily have to, like, go to Wikipedia and, like, have a list of, like, most important feminism of 1970. (laughs) But, you know, like, so, but you can kind of understand, like, it's just, it's a movie that lets, that knows that the audience is smart enough to kind of pick up on this in some ways. and then kind of trick you with it too with the whole boyfriend subplot but that's what's really great about the horror genre in general when it's done well is horror is a gateway for film to talk about taboo subjects that you can't right like nancy myers can't talk about abortion in 1974 and like that sort of thing Mm -hmm. like you know like and so you're allowed to kind of explore these harder topics, these taboo subjects, while still at the same time having fun and having the house mom like be a drunk and like <laughs> all these kind of yeah. I loved her. Too. Yeah, right. she was great. <laughs> so you can be really deaf. Yeah, switching. But like even ag- even against the grain too. I mean, like it was very uh, made out to be in the beginning that the gir- girl Jess is like very innocent and very like like a religious quiet good girl she's wearing the crucifix and when then it came about the when it came about the abortion she's like like when she was talking about like she was on the side of like getting the abortion i was like okay that's a little different that's probably a little more radical than maybe what's like something early on then for someone to be you know perceived to be a religious person and have that be an option for them 
uh, or, or be a pro for that option. So that's yeah. kind of a, I thought that was kind of interesting. I love Can the I... follow up conversation too, um, where she has, where she explains to to Phil like why, where she's just like, I have all these things I want to do and I want to live my life, and you know, it it's right. fun. It's, it's a kind of funny looking at it through twenty twenty lenses of like. Well, of course you could still get married. Like Phil's point of, of course you can still get married and like do all those things and like be whoever you want. But like in 1974, you couldn't. Like if she had gotten married to Phil, that would have been it because he would have been her like keeper, so to speak, um, based on like society. So she would have probably had to quit school and go be a stay-at-home mom or you know give up on any dream she had of doing. Like we don't know what she was right. studying in school the way we know that Phil wanted to be a you know a concert pianist, but. You know, we know that she has these goals and these ambitions, and these things she wants to do, and she needs, you know, to to do them. So I liked even that like follow up to it, which didn't need to be there. Like they didn't need to have that like breakdown scene between the two of them, especially knowing that he's not the you know the killer in the end. Um, but I just thought that was a really nice touch. Um, yeah. What were you gonna say, Zach? I I really like the historic perspective that Bridget gave us there. That was cool, and um. To add to it, uh, Clark, the director, noticed that in cinema, college students were just portrayed as like straight up idiots, like cattle for the slang in the, in this type of movie. And he wanted he wanted to depict college students more realistically that they're not all bubble headed beach blondes in a bikini, like with piranhas attacking them, you know. Which is funny because then he made Porky's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. right yeah yeah and he actually said that about this movie he wanted to show that they're actually intelligent you know forward-thinking people and you know she was ahead of the time uh our main character there yeah, yeah for it's sure. interesting there's a sort of inverse of like what we think of as like the traditional final girl of being like this very strict virginal mm-hmm. like sweet innocent which jess is to to a point but at the same time like her one of her main conflicts outside of the fact that someone's trying to actively murder her is she wants to have an abortion and not marry her boyfriend you know what mm-hmm. i mean and the first right. girl who's killed is like the super innocent like she's explicitly called virginal like yeah what'd you say like girl. a permanent permanent virgin or virgin for life like what did she call her <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so margot kidder was so mean <laughs> i i know I, I, I loved her in this movie. I thought she was fantastic. Great, she was great. She was like, such a lush. Yeah. Mean. I saw that, yeah, when I saw it at the beginning, I was like, ooh, okay, Margot Kidder's in this. This is pretty exciting. <laughs> I love yeah. my favorite part of hers too is the uh the fellatio phone number, oh which is not God. a joke oh, that great. would work in any other time period except back then right. when you had the like Klondike five two 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 seven or whatever, like yep. a, an yeah. actual like, you know, conference code or whatever it was called. Uh, and the way the guy who, again, is the worst cop ever, was just like, Felicio, that's a new one. I have not oh, heard yeah, that. Yeah, that guy has, like, putty for brain. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But uh, if you're on the subject of good character, if you want to run through the cast, I mean, there's some really colorful people in this movie. Um, the house mom is my favorite character. The house the mom is great. And I loved all of – as soon as she said something about going to get a book or whatever, I'm like, I guarantee this is like a, like a pint or something in the book. And I'm oh, like, there it is. <laughs> and then, and then the, uh, she had one hidden behind the toilet. In the um, it was in the tank. Yeah, it was in the tank. <laughs> Which is so gross because she pulls it up I with the string the and then the, 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 the 
the first time she finds or she finds her first ash and she takes a sip, she does like this little dance while yeah. doing it. And I'm like, that's exactly like how I am. Like after like a long day, it's like, <laughs> just one little beer. I do like, that little dance. I just thought that was such a funny little reaction. I did not expect that at all. I thought that was so funny. Well, it's um, funny too because like I thought she was going to like get in on the party or whatever. Like she's doing a little dance. Like she's getting like worked up. Like she's almost pre-gaming right. a little bit. And then she just goes and brushes her teeth and drinks more sherry from the toilet. <laughs> And it was funny. I it didn't even seem. I didn't really seem to understand who she was until about like fifteen to twenty minutes into the movie. I'm like, is she just like? Because there were like other parents like dropping kids off, or like the oh, yeah. who was it? Uh, uh, not Phil's father. Who was it? Um, Claire, the the dead girl. Yeah, the first girl yeah. goes missing. The one who got like a snowball smash right in his face in the beginning. Like that was my first LOL <laughs> oh, moment in the movie. I, yeah, yeah, that and was the, the kid goes. Oh yeah. Um. And sidebar, I thought he was going to have a lot more to do in the movie going forward. I was like, they're alluding to something with this dude. And I, like in the third act, when they're trying to like X off people who may be the killer, I'm like, wait a minute. This might be the guy. And when they escorted him out of her bedroom, and I was like, holy shit, was it that guy the entire time? And I had to like reel back in my mind, was he in certain scenes where the phone rang or whatever? I know. I had the same thought. Like, I, he was actually my initial suspect. Mm. Like, just because, like, Oh, the dad bad vibes. Yeah. yeah, the dad. Yeah. yeah. Well, I never, I never got that. I never yeah, got I'm that with that. It was more so like it was the scene where he's like talking with the house mom and like he's like, I didn't want my daughter to be doing these things, and I'm like, oh, he's <gasps> so negative. Because yeah, and he's yeah. like, like all down on like the whole college experience. Yeah, I mean. For for how much they ended up using him at the end of the movie, like they spent a lot. He was in the first act for like a lot of the time. Like I know he's looking for his daughter and everything, but they spent an exorbitant amount of time with him. And I'm like, they're building to something. Like this guy's gonna have something big to do with it. And he had like nothing to do with it at the end. He had like nothing to contribute. And he didn't even seem like that upset that his daughter was gone. He was just like completely. Well, you, you have to remember, he doesn't know she's gone because he didn't find her body yet. To him, she's still just missing. Right, but I mean, shock at the end. He goes yeah. in the shock. Yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, I didn't honestly like as I was watching it, like trying to figure out like you know because you do these kinds of things in a horror movie, like trying to figure out who you think is the suspects and you know who you thought maybe had something to do with it. Honestly, for the majority of the movie, I assumed we were gonna get a uh, just random dude. We don't know who they are. Um, obviously, that is what it is as far as we yeah. know because there is no resolution to it. But I didn't even suspect uh, Pete or whatever the the boyfriend's name is because he wasn't at the house the day of that very first murder. He yeah. was off in the conservatory or whatever. So to me, like, I think they almost spent too much time, like, tr trying to do red herrings that it was him. Like the, oh, the call's coming inside, you know, we know the call's coming from inside the house most likely. Like, we didn't, we weren't told that till the very end, but I had a feeling most of you suspected that at a certain yeah. point. Um, and so, so him being like, I was sleeping, that's supposed to like lead you to it and all the, you know, the anger at the piano and all these different things. But the fact that he wasn't there for the first one, I cleared him like immediately. Yeah. Interesting. I, see, I, I was there. I kept having that thought. I'm like, he wasn't there initially, but they, in some ways they do like a good job of sort of like Jess's paranoia becomes your paranoia as the viewer. Yeah. Right. Um, and you like, as you see, like, the kind of breakdown of the relationship, the misunderstandings, like, the yeah. erosion of trust, you see how she could end up in the basement, like, seeing his face appear in the window and being like, no fucking way. I'm gonna step I, back I in the dark. Not, and, like, 
yeah. end up killing him. And, like, even just, like, as he was approaching her and, like, saying these sort of nice things in that weird voice, like, you know, everything is on the up and up in terms of his tone and, like, the words he's saying. But at the same time, like, I, I was, like, grabbing Brian, like, Oh God, I'm so frightened, right? Yeah, I'd be I'd be willing to bet they even use him for a stand-in for shots like that. Like I I wrote down my favorite single shot in the entire movie is the eye through the 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 yeah. wedge. Oh of the my floor. gosh! Oh my it's god, that's like, that so good. Movie. And I because I saw his eye and then like I saw him later on and I'm like that those eyes look exactly the same. So that's oh, why so I started putting were... it together. And I thought it was like smart if if they did use him, it was a smart move to use him as a stand-in for the killer. Because then mm-hmm. you're you're starting to look for those like physical attributes in the face, and you know that part where he takes the uh, the glass unicorn and kills. Oh my gosh! Yeah, uh, that was a, yeah, that was a good kill. Uh, yeah, I, like you see, like you see just a little bit of like his eye and like his hair. This kind of like it seems sort of like hairstyle. Uh, so they, I, I think they definitely intentionally alluded to it, like it being him for like a yeah. long stretch of the third act for sure. Um, but yeah, I wrote down that that was the single best moment in the movie on a horror or visceral level was the shot through the door. Yeah, my last note is just all caps. The eye. <laughs> the eye. Yep. See, the eye was actually what threw, what solidified the fact because I don't think that they were the same color as the boyfriend. So I immediately like, and I don't know if that was just because I think the way the light was hitting it, it gave it kind of like a red glow. I don't know if that's what threw me, but as I was watching, I was like, I don't think those guys' eyes are the same. So I'm I'm fully on board with the it's my theory of it's not Pete, it's just some rando um, at that point. So, but I did, but the, that shot was just yeah. like, oh um, yeah, and then and then and of course I think Bob Clark agrees with us because he went on to do Porky's, and the most iconic shot in that is the eye <laughs> through the shower. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I would you so what did you guys think of the the kills overall in terms of both the the horrorness of it and just the like the actual execution? I thought they were all fantastic. I thought yeah, I thought they were pretty good for the most part. Um, I didn't note that you didn't see a single drop of blood until like an hour and fifteen in. Like the first couple of kills were just yeah. like screen or whatever which i enjoyed um that's half the reason why i love halloween as much as i do because even though it's a slasher movie it's about as bloodless as like the sixth sense like you know it's just like it's not it's like more you know it's your imagination is kind of supposed to run with it a little bit as far as what exactly happened mm-hmm. off camera i did yeah. notice that the, the the kill even though it didn't show the, the cop that got killed in the car mm-hmm. the makeup for that was so bad it was just like it was so like just a smear just like red it was so, <laughs> it was so bad I, but beyond that i thought all the kills were uh were pretty good um, and that w- that is a a classic classic uh happening in in slasher films there will be a cop and they come up to the cop car thinking they have relief thinking they have help and the mm-hmm. cops throw is slit that's like mm-hmm. so yeah. classic it's yeah. so classic yeah. uh, um, i have a oh, go ahead, go no, I was going to say, I have a question about one of the kills. Which one? So, it's not one that's technically shown, so I don't know if it counts as a kill, but it's a body within the, the realm of the film. So you have all of the sorority sisters and the murders that take place in the house, but then concurrent, you have this murder of a child mm-hmm. as well. And they're kind of happening at the same time in some ways like it's a red herring it's a distraction for the police and like people are coming up and saying did you hear about this little girl like and i couldn't tell whether the movie wanted to imply like 
this person killed this little girl as well, or is this just an additional sort of that was kind of violence? one of my problems with the with the movie was I couldn't and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it was it just a coincidence? Like, what was the reasoning behind? Was it just like a distraction, like Bridget was saying? Was it just like a, a different element of sort of tension in the movie? Um, but I just didn't understand at the end of the movie why we needed to have that sort of uh, exit off the highway, if you will, for like this kid being killed in a park. I, I didn't understand how it fit in the movie. My assumption, and obviously, you know, I watch it the same amount of times as, as you guys and have the same, <laughs> right. same level of thought here. My assumption is that it is supposed to imply that this was done by the same person. Okay. My thinking is that is actually the first kill and that he kills the kid, the 13-year-old girl in the park and then wanders around, sees the other girls in the sorority house and decides like that's the next step for him to like go up in the attic and like do whatever he's got to do. And I feel like the calls and some of the gibberish of like, we know what we did. Oh, you know what you did. Don't tell Agnes. <laughs> was was the like, don't don't give up that you killed that first girl. Right. Okay. Interesting. So that, I mean, that's how I, that's how I got it. So like that. before he scaled the lattice up three stories, yeah. he killed the girl in the park. Yeah. So like, on his way, maybe that was his getaway, like to hide out in that attic. Huh. Or maybe that was just, he was walking by. Cause it seems like we don't get a sense of the scale of the town or the college or anything like that. But I, I have to assume the park isn't far away because mm-hmm. the people who show up at the end that are part of like the search party came from the park yeah. and then are doing the house sweep that way. Yeah. Um, so the way that I read it was that that's possibly the first kill is the girl um, in the park. And then he goes and, and does the sorority thing. Interesting. Yeah. I would say if anything, there was like a, not like a low point, but just like a flaw with the movie that there wasn't really like a sense of place. I didn't really know where like, they could have added a couple more shots or establishing shots or whatever, like where the college or parks or whatever. Just they all sort of, they were all over the place. I didn't really have, I didn't know there was a park across the street from the place until like, like, like I said, if I knew there was a park in the beginning of the movie, like maybe I would have made that connection. I'd be like, oh shit, like he, the, he killed the girl at the beginning of the movie and then just either walked across the street or was trying to find a place to kind of hide and pick the sorority house. But, but isn't think, it better? that you have to figure it out now and you are figuring it out now it's like the movie that requires you to think more for every yeah, part I, of yeah, no, yeah i suppose i mean and i'm not trying like i'm not asking for any sort of like exposition or like dialogue as far as someone saying like oh it's so nice that you live right next to a park you know what i mean i'd rather it be like a nice like shot of like the park and then it goes over to the house i mean i'm just thinking from like a technical standpoint as far as just one yeah. simple shot yeah. would have established that and like you wouldn't even think you totally forgot about it until it came up later on in the movie where like some girl's dead in the park yeah Yeah. they do some weird like sort of like they attempt some like weird expositional like place setting at the beginning like when margot kidder i think someone actually brings up there's actually an additional like they talk about some girl being raped in Mm -hmm. town like a couple months prior which that line about townies, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. What was that line again? I completely rolled my eyes at it. Count if it's a townie. Like I can't. You can't. You can't rape a townie, townie. implying that townies are sluts and trains. That is awful. It was. Oh my god. I. I was like. I was like. Damn townies. Fuck. (laughs) Like, and it was so aggressive and visceral that I'm like, wait, what does this say about this place? So I. 
like but other than that like you really don't get a sense of where right. they are yeah how about those phone calls guys oh how about god i i love calls? the phone calls at first i thought oh they were my just, gosh. Like, stupid but like by the third one it became like deeply unsettling because like there were new <laughs> yeah. voices and like new things being said and that's what i said i got more invested in the phone calls like i was waiting like like the cops like with like a headphone waiting yeah, for the next like, phone call like with a pen and paper yeah. right like okay jerry who's jerry i like just <laughs> <laughs> like it's so like, true I, it's so true i that, that I, I, I was basically starting my own investigation into figuring out what was going on with his phone calls but i would love to revisit them with the closed captioning on and see if there's any sort of Unless it just like murmurs, like quotations, murmurs something. Yeah, it's probably a lot of that with like Billy and Jenny or whatever the other Agnes. names that are thrown out. Agnes, right. yeah, yeah. Agnes, don't um, tell them Agnes. Don't tell them what we did. Yeah, but uh, I what I took away from the phone calls was like, wow, like I I think I wrote down like as far as like the history of like slasher movies and horror movies, when has like phone calls have taken such a precedence and importance in the movie? Where you didn't maybe even see it later on until something like Scream, like twenty or thirty yeah, years I later. Like I was, I was thinking like line. like you've seen a bunch of horror movies where maybe there's one phone call, but when there's multiple phone calls, mm-hmm. I was like, wow! It, like I, I would love to look and see if this movie was one of like the first ones to sort of pioneer the idea of that sort of like uh, communication terrorism, if you will, through like uh, phone yeah. calls. I was ready to hate them at first, or right. I was glad that there was more of them because that very first one, there's like a little bit of giggling in it. And I was like, oh, is this going to be the thing where it's, it turns out it was the sorority boys from down the street that they're having a, like, you know, a war with or whatever. And it's not actually related to the killer at all. And what a, like, what a dumb swerve that's going to be. So I'm glad that it was, I was like really glad that it wasn't that. Um, yeah. Cause I had set that expectation for myself of, oh. This is just another red herring that has nothing to do with anything because the guy's in the attic. So clearly this has nothing to right. do with any of it. Um, so I'm really glad that that through line came in. And I really loved and I don't know because I don't think we see it if there's a phone in the attic, which I guess there must be. Yeah, is really... line two up in the attic because there must be two lines going to the house. There's well, there is. In the bedroom. There's like, one I in the house said... mother's bedroom because they said yeah. don't don't tap that one. It's a different line. Don't worry about it. Oh, I didn't even catch that. Okay. Which is a great line because it's a throwaway line. It is, yeah. That you like could read into as like, oh, the calls might be coming from inside the house. But it's th- it's done in such a way by that detective who, again, was fantastic. That He's one yeah. of the great characters in the movie. It's such a throwaway line where like you don't even – like Johnny, you said you missed it. You know, totally it's completely it. a thing where you just like – it just it passes you by. It's just a random piece of dialogue. We're focused on this one phone. We're focused on finding the killer. Right. But so yeah, I, I was I like that touch. Yeah, I was glad to see, like you said in the beginning, where like the first phone call was kind of like, like highly sexualized, like it was charged mm-hmm. that yeah. way, where yeah. like, like you know, blowjob, da 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 da, and all this other stuff, and then it turned into more just like more like really, like I said, unsettling, disturbing, incoherent sentences and names and mm-hmm. laughing and different voices. And Ugh. speaking of the speaking of the laughing, the scene when that random cop that starts laughing before the joke is even sort of introduced to what's happening, I was like, what is happening? Is it like like his laugh sounded so familiar to the phone calls. I'm like, I, I I completely try to brush aside like that 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 guy had anything to do with the phone calls, but it was weird that they put that guy in there to sort of laugh about a joke that I don't even know what the hell they were talking about until it's a later great on. Scene, they, though, isn't it? It yeah. is, it, it's a funny scene in hindsight, but at first, and I'm like, holy shit, that guy laughs out exactly like the killers, and I was like. This it's is kind of like, unsettling. That's, that's where I dropped the pen, and I'm like, I'm, I'm getting too far into this phone yeah. call investigation. 
I, I like that a lot because I, I saw his face smiling and right. kind of looking like it's going to laugh. And I was like, oh, if this dude doesn't laugh. He's totally the killer. Like, I don't know what his deal is, but that face is that face ain't right. Yeah, it's the face of a man who's got. And then the second he like he tries to call the number and looks at the dude and the guy just starts losing it laughing. I was like, oh, this this bit's coming back. The fellatio bit's coming back over here. And the slow burn real is like realization of him being like, Nash, could you come in here for a second? Like. This like it's just allowing the audience to get on board and remember the setup of the joke that's about to pay off of just being like, no, it's a new thing, fellatio. I don't know. Yeah. Li- right. The girl gave it to me earlier, and the cops like the girl gave you. Fel- oh my god. Like, <laughs> so before we move on from the phone calls, uh, I have a little bit of background information. Okay. Bob Clark, the director, was one of the voices on the phone calls. Oh, do you know okay. which one? Was he Agnes or was he Billy? Oh, or... oh my gosh, not specifically. Okay. But he participated in the phone calls. Okay. And one of the actors in the movie, I'm not sure if it's the, the detective. I'm not sure if it's the boyfriend. I would have to look a little deeper. And at this point, I wish I had. But um, he did a lot of the work on the phone calls. And he stood on his head uh, to compress his throat and make him sound even more deranged. Jesus. For these... For these phone calls. Yeah. Um, those phone calls were just excellent because by the end of the movie, you're like, you're, you're just as upset by them as she is. Yeah. And then that final scene, uh, I mean, uh, that camera angle from up the stairs, zooming in on our star, right when she finds out that the calls are coming from within the house, that mm-hmm. shot. That that was a great reveal. I, I I at first I didn't like it, but I realized why it happened the way it was because the guy was literally telling her just like leave the house, leave the house, leave the house, and she wouldn't understand why, and he just had to sort of come out and be like, "There's someone in your fucking house. You got to yeah. get out like now." Oh, and he's got man. multiple personalities, and he's in your attic. <laughs> I do love the fact that like the one job Nash had was to not tell her that, and it took him all of five seconds to give that up. Like <laughs> I get I get why she was right, protesting yeah. and asking questions. But a smarter cop would have been like, I just need you to trust me. Like we spoke earlier or whatever. Like the detective asked me to, to tell you this. He's on his way over right now. Like you you could understand her trepidation, obviously. Yeah. Um, but still, like that that was the one job. And he let it go in five seconds. Yeah. I uh, I thought in the sure beginning means. when they were introducing the fact that the villain was in the attic and they were doing so much emphasis on like the breathing and I was like I'm really enjoying this because I can see why Carpenter sort of like trailed on this movie and did Halloween yeah. because like the intro the POV the breathing all of that all and of then and then the one scene where the breath is not breathing anymore and he's just like beating the shit out of a birdcage and like saying all this crazy shit I was like ah oh, I don't know if I like that direction. I, I I eventually was on board with it, but like in still in hindsight, I'm like I think he should have been a little more stealthy about it because like he's making a lot of fucking racket up there right now, and there's a lot of people in the house. <laughs> I mean, he's hitting bird cages, and there's like a, there's like a horse from a carousel up there. He's beating the crap out of yeah. too. Um, <laughs> it was just it seemed like a lot of noise for someone who probably wanted to kill at least two or three more people without getting caught. Um, but and he's uh, pushing the girl in the in the rocking chair too, which is which is demented also. Yeah. Okay. He's, he's like rocking her. shots of. I loved all the shots of the yeah. like showing that the girl was still there with the plastic wrap right. around yeah. her face. I liked it. Yeah, and he put like a doll in her hands and everything. And it was oh, really bizarre. With the, with it, its face like half burned and yeah, like, I couldn't spinner. tell what was going on. Yeah, 
but uh, it, the, the 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 doll looked like it had like a night mask on or something. I don't know what's going on with it. Um, <laughs> but uh, and then also, guys, what happened to Claude the cat? Uh, what oh, happened no. to Claude? It's up there the whole time because I she hears it at one point. I don't know how it got into the attic. The killer must have taken it up there. Um, but I I just assumed it stayed in the attic the whole time. So speaking oh. of this killer. Uh, another thing I really like about this killer, I mentioned earlier that he's not all powerful. He doesn't have some type of supernatural ability. It's very realistic. It's just a deranged killer, but he really is so deranged. Like there's definitely some, some major psychological issues. And I like that compared to, uh, just plain evil. Like, uh, you know, someone who's uh intelligent and evil we see a lot of that but just someone who's straight up bonkers i i kind of like that aspect of it yeah and i like the fact that it's clear through the phone calls that there's more going on it's clear that he's got either this affectation that he's doing or something to where um you know it's he's clearly not right in the head which makes sense because he's out there murdering all sorts of people um but i'm glad that at no point did anyone try to like diagnose him or that the cop didn't like hear the phone calls and be like it's very clear that this man is suffering from multiple personality (laughs) disorders otherwise known as such and such and such because like once you start getting into like the realism aspect of a disease that's when it starts to like unravel completely because then it's it's never portrayed right or it's never diagnosed right so i'm glad that that was just allowed to be just like this weird thing that was going on as opposed to like there being a character that's like i'm a nursing student or i'm pre-med and it's very clear that he's suffering from this particular the thing and then that may, was now somehow part of it i'm glad that the ambiguousness was there like throughout to just be like yeah no this dude's fucked up and he's gonna try to murder everybody yeah because it keeps it scarier right yeah it, like yeah. You, you see those explanations like in in lesser movies like it's there to sort of confirm what the audience already suspects and like in some ways create like ah yes it is multiple personality disorder well now we understand and we can feel safer whereas this movie is like no we don't know what's going on Mm -hmm. we can't (laughs) understand the phone calls one part of that too is like once you give it a real world connotation of like a mental illness or a disease, it almost humanizes them a little bit in that you want them to get the help that they need. Like you don't necessarily, you know what I mean? Like as a person, yeah. you'd be like, you'd feel it's bad. Not their, it's not their fault. Something clearly terrible happened to them and they just need the, they just need the help Speaking as opposed of which, to let's, let's kill this guy and let's get him out of the house. <laughs> yeah. I think there's definitely some trauma, although we're, we're talking about not analyzing this guy, but I think there's, definitely some trauma in his past no i mean we can because it would you know but i'm glad the movie did <laughs> yeah so do as i say not as i do kind of situation we could totally yeah. do it that's what the podcast is for i feel like part of what he's doing is having flashbacks and yes. and yeah yeah so clearly yeah. something fucked up with agnes happened as a kid or he got caught doing something and we're not supposed to tell agnes and all these different things like so that that's definitely there but it's clear that i'm just glad that there was no like medical time like that they didn't like that they didn't bring in a doctor character to be like doctor <laughs> yeah. what do you think about this you know the way that they have the doctor character in like the halloween movies i didn't yep. need that here exactly. so i'm glad that that wasn't a part mm-hmm. of the discovery of the you know the bad guy 
It's Dr. Yeah. Loomis, by the way. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, glad, I'm glad him, that was there. Yeah, it makes the 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 attic guy like less of a person and like almost you know, because the movie it's not supernatural, but in some ways like he becomes just this malevolent force. Once you rule out that it's not Peter, you're like, Oh shit. Like mm-hmm. yeah. that like the that this motivation that we thought we had pinned down is not actually it. Like that's in some ways more frightening sort of the, the ambiguity is yeah not the fear of not knowing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, absolutely i was thinking of telling you guys before the movie and you can tell me if i should have told you this beforehand or if it's good now but uh the i'll just cut it into beforehand we'll just cut the whole <laughs> conversation <laughs> edit it to beforehand so if it, if it was good so the director says that um it's obviously inspired by that urban legend that I'm sure you've heard before the calls are coming from inside the house. That's like a story you tell the babysitters. And, mm-hmm. um, and then it's also based on real events that happened. Cause this movie is a Canadian movie. Uh, they shot oh, it. In, yeah. They shot it in Canada. Most, a lot of them are Canadian. Um, the director. So in a, in a, what the Westmount neighborhood of Montreal, there were killings during the holidays, a 14 year old that bludgeoned multiple family members to death. Hmm. So inspired by that combined with the urban legend that became huge in the seventies, apparently is when it was really mm-hmm. widespread. Everyone was telling that story. Yeah, no, I, I am glad that you saved that for now. Cause I don't know that you would have been able to necessarily tell that Sneak without it. it. Yeah. Well, cause yeah. like, well, cause the calls are such a big part of it. And I'm glad that I didn't know that this was going to be, you know, as Johnny said before, uh, phone terrorism uh, or yeah. communication <laughs> terrorism. So, uh, yeah, I am glad that we know that going in. Psychological that is, warfare. Yeah, it is. Uh, but that's interesting, though. I didn't I didn't realize that that was, you know, had real world. And again, it's it's hard to like look at it through a 2020 lens because, like, I don't know where the call is coming from inside the house starts or like what the very first instance of that being a, a scary thing to think about. Uh, because to me, you couldn't call from a phone inside the house because you just get the busy signal because the the phone's in use. So like, I don't even know how that would be a thing <laughs> without that, that second line. So, but that is a, that is a cool little tidbit. All right. So one thing I want to talk about um, here and it's kind of to, like, is a little bit of a divergence from the seriousness that we've been talking about. This movie's really funny. Yep. Like, yeah. which I wouldn't have thought yeah. because I don't think a Christmas story is funny, as I've said, as I said at the beginning. But like, this movie was really funny, and not in that like you watch an old movie and it's schlocky and it's stupid, and that's what makes it funny. Like some of the like the quips and the barbs, as hor- like as horrendous as they are, in a lot of times was like I found myself laughing a lot more than I anticipated for right. something that is classified as a horror movie. I mean. Margot Kidder's character is hilarious, uh, even though she's just like a terrible, mean drunk. Like the house mother's <laughs> hilarious. Um, I laughed every time the the first girl I, for, I forget her name the first girl that goes missing Claire uh, Claire every time her boyfriend's on screen with that that pimp coat that he's wearing, which I know is more of the time, but I, oh, I, right. so, for some reason I was just laughing at the like the absurd size of his uh of his, his hair. coat his uh, hair too I, right. Yeah, well, his his hair was. I mean, all the hair in this is great. It's great. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. My, uh, I think my favorite was the story, and it. I laughed really hard at it because it it was kind of a callback to Christmas Vacation that we watched last week, 
where Margot Kidder tells a story about how the, there's these turtles that can fuck for three straight days. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Right. She went on and on think, about it. All I could think of was that poster behind the grandfather on the bunk bed in Christmas vacation <laughs> <laughs> of the That's turtles right. fucking. And so she's telling this story and I'm like, I guess turtles fucking is just a Christmas tradition now. I don't <laughs> yeah. know. Okay. Right? I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, there was a number of funny moments for me in this movie, but I think there were more of things that I just thought that were funny, like reactionary things, like how characters reacted to certain things. Like there was a scene where uh, I think it's Claire. No, not Claire. Uh, Jess goes to find Claire's boyfriend playing hockey at the rink. Yep. And this this kind of circles back to how uh, how horrible the, the police are in town. But she goes, they didn't take it seriously. And he goes, why? Like, <laughs> Like, why? How he delivered why? Like, like I, 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 it was why? so funny. Yeah, why? <laughs> why? And I he goes down was... there and he's talking to the cop. Like, you would not get away with talking to the cops that way nowadays. Well, I think it's because he knew the detective or he knew somebody in the precinct because he asked them, like, hey, how's your brother or whatever? And then they were like, yo, why aren't you taking this seriously? This call's coming to the house and the girl from the house is missing. Like, what are you, an idiot? Yeah, seriously. Johnny said mush for brains, it's perfect. Yeah, he is, yeah, putty for brains, yeah. Putty. Yeah. So how about that lead, the lead actress, uh, Jess, is it? Yeah. Is she, I thought her acting was excellent, especially when she was torn psychologically at the end, like her, her desire to live, her, her survival instinct to leave mm-hmm. the house, but at the same time with uh, juxtaposed with with her ethics of I can't leave these people behind and she yeah. just she just starts desperately panickedly screaming for them before right. she actually goes up the stairs mm-hmm. I mean that acting was excellent to me I uh, I recognized her throughout and I had to look up who she was and the only thing I think I've seen her in was the very old 1968 Romeo and Juliet movie oh, that yep. we watched in high school because that was the most accurate movie because the other more recent one would have been the Claire Danes Leonardo DiCaprio one. So we watched the one from the 60s where she played Julia. Right. Uh, yeah, she was great. I think everyone was great in it. Um, Mrs. Mack. And then yeah. two characters two characters that I couldn't understand like what their deal was was like the two the two weirdo search party guys that knocked on the door like the end, oh like, near the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. It's like, dude, go scratch. Like we got a lot more important shit to go. <laughs> like what what are they t- what are they doing? What are they adding to the story besides? I would accept safety in numbers. Right. They had a gun at least. Yeah. But like, well, the whole, like come stand with me. Stand right the whole next door to me. closing, the door closing, the door opening, the door closing, and I'm like, mm-hmm. just shut the door on these idiots. Yeah. But the the I kind of like that part because again it sort of goes along with like they're they're living in in Clown City apparently and like everyone involved with like this manhunt like is doing the exact wrong thing mm-hmm. like we're helping with the search party so we're gonna knock on a random door in the middle of the night after first peeking in the windows yeah in the backyard by the way. Weapon, yeah. <laughs> like they almost point like, the gun at her mother. Right. Yeah. Like and it's like in some way like it just sort of underscores the like you are being failed at like <laughs> a sort of like uh, macro level. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that girl didn't have a chance at all. She was gonna be dead no matter what. The town couldn't do anything to save her. Yeah. <laughs> I did I mean I like that part too from the like the jump scare of seeing that guy. Cause again, we don't know who could possibly be the killer at this point. 
Um, and so seeing that guy's face in the window is a good little jump scare. Uh, and then seeing the guy with the gun is another little like, oh, shit, uh, because we don't know. It could be multiple people, especially given the, the different voices and stuff. So I like that that kind of played with the possibility that, hey, maybe it's not just one person. Maybe it is two people. And maybe right. these guys are, you know, maybe these guys are the killers and that's just they're they're put on and they're they're so nice and folksy. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, you wouldn't go door to door and you'd think that would be the one where you're like, OK, go door to door, but then don't go to six Brentwood or whatever, because that's where the that's where the murders. Right, like, right. Murder person came from. So as far as like the holiday themes, the holiday warmth of this movie, uh, I thought like right from the beginning, like it, it was good, like the, the holy night, the the little Christmas party, the the booze and the decorations and all that stuff like it was all. It all fit in like fairly well. Um, again, I couldn't pay. Again, it's Christmas, so I'm wondering why the hell they're still on campus right now. I, I, I guess they just live there year round, but um, that was kind of an injury. I couldn't, I couldn't peg what time of December it actually was. Well, some of them were leaving. That house would have been a lot more full. Yeah, because yeah. how many, how many girls did she, did she live there? Like ten or something, like eight or ten. Yeah, and by the end of it, there was only like five of them there, but there was clearly a lot more rooms going on in that house. I think it's just a lot of people left early for Christmas. Right, okay. Some were leaving that day. Like, that's why she was supposed to meet her dad, was to go home um, for Christmas, so. Right. So sad. And then, yeah. And then, like, the uh, when the carolers came to the door for Jess, mm-hmm. and they went for, like, a second song, like an encore, and she's <laughs> wearing, like, a tiny sweater, and it's, like, freezing, and they're in freaking Canada, apparently. <laughs> I was like, shut the door or something. Like, well, it's supposed to be shot exactly in America. That too. Yeah, but I mean, she doesn't want to. Well, be rude right, to the but characters. I'm just saying, it's just it's it's the middle of winter, and it's yeah. like, all right, give me like a like a measure or two of a song, and then like beat it to the next neighbor. I'm like, I don't have time for. Yeah, you're freezing my ass to, up. I'm not gonna hold the door open here. Up, yeah. <laughs> I did like how they used the the caroling though to cover up oh. one of the murders. I thought yeah, that was a really yeah. good. That, that was good. Yeah. Um. So I, I got the, why the, they did it. Yeah, no, I, I just in terms of like the Christmas through line, like I'm glad it wasn't just it's Christmas time and murders are happening adjacent. Like, I'm glad it wasn't that diehard thing of it's Christmas. You know, it's Christmas, but Christmas never rears its head ever again in the movie. Like the fact that people are going home makes sense. The fact that, you know, the carolers are there to cover up one murder. The one part of it I didn't like was and again, I think this is more to do with the fact that it's an overused trope by now is the next victim conveniently tells you how they're going to be gone anyway so you're never suspicious to look for them when they are not where they're supposed to be and i think that's just a a a controversy of current and through line things so that i didn't even necessarily you know it didn't dock the movie for it and that but when it happened i was just like well, of course she's gone for she's going to her mom's house for Christmas and she may not be here when you're back because she's getting murdered. Yeah. <laughs> Can we before we move on from those carolers, I, I the movie did stay consistent with the holiday theme, don't you think? Mm-hmm. It was definitely a horror movie, but they definitely kept it Christmassy. Yeah, Enough I mean, to stay that, in this- they have that orphan fraternity kid Christmas party. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the Santa saying like bitch and fuck and what I was like, absolutely oh, ridiculous. ridiculous. Like, the way, like the way the kids sat on Santa's lap too. At first I was like, oh, is that just like another fraternity? Like, or is so that a sorority random. girl? 
but like, and then she threw both arms around and he's just like yeah. swearing up a storm. So at first I was like, is that just a really young looking sorority girl? And that's what this is. But then I realized that like all the kids are like, no, they're like 12. Right. Right. I would have loved to see what that. I was going to say those carolers were actually really good the way they were harmonizing. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. they covered up by far the most incredible kill in this movie that that glass unicorn or whatever it was as she's waking up he waits he like slowly wakes her up by like whispering to her as she wakes up he starts coming down with it and he does it so many times that shot is that scene is so visceral and so realistic and so painful it's like (laughs) oh it's it's true yeah i I, that was probably one of the better kills in the movie um i I don't. I can't. I'm kind of conflicted. I. W- I don't know if I would rather or I would like to have seen a Christmas-oriented kill, something in the house that has something to do with the holiday, where the killer kind of use it as a prop to kill it, or like do you kind of, or, or do you kind of like move away from it and just be like, okay, that would have been kind of like too on the nose, kind of too like, I don't know. You can think of any other like Christmas horror movie where I'm sure there's someone strangling someone with lights or, you know, or what have you. But um, yeah, I, I thought like maybe you time. just. It would have worked. Watching it right. now, it would have been like, oh, this again with the lights or the, you know, whatever. Like, oh, been right. done, if they seen it. Here, it like, would have been yeah. like the first. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. But like, so like, I think it would have worked. I'm glad it didn't have that because watching it now, I would have had that like eye roll of, oh, of course, we got to have a Christmas related kill in there. Like, of course we do. Um, so the yeah. fact that they didn't almost subverted the expectation that they should have, which I, I liked because at, at no point did I really feel like. I was beaten over the head by tropes, even though this would have been the prototype. Like other than the calling, like I think that's really the only thing that's become tropey nowadays. And the the breathing a little bit with like, you know, the Halloween movies. But even his breathing was a lot more intense than I think it is in other movies where they right. do that. Yeah, I, I love the uh, and even though it was very minimalistic, was the score, whatever it was, where it was just like someone using like a violin uh, or something like that against like a piano. Um, uh, I thought. I, Ah, uh, you got you got some uh, trivia yeah, for is, us. Yeah, I'm excited thinking... for this because he he was hesitant to tell us this in the before part, and we were like, "Well, I don't know, Zach. We're just gonna have to trust you." So go. What, what's the thing with the score? <laughs> so so the musician Carl Zietrer, uh, the composer, uh, tied forks and combs and knives on the piano strings to to get that sound, and then uh, to distort it further, he would record it. I think on a cassette. And then play it back slowed down. So Ooh. that's that's what he did to that music. So I was going to tell you that ahead of time so you can listen for that. I kind of, you're talking no, about I, like when the kills happen and it kind of like zooms like in or whatever. That you've yeah. heard that you've heard again, like I think in Child's Play they use very similar tones mm. and right. maybe some other. Yeah, there's a yeah, there's a great um, there's an actual like someone. I know that's probably how that's how he did it, Zach. But eventually, someone actually created like an instrument or instrument where there's just like it's just like a 28 piece instrument where that has all like you can just take this and make every horror score like any ever. You know what I mean with it, Um, which is a pretty cool video to watch. But I really liked it. It was very uh, minimalistic. And uh, speaking of uh, pianos and all that stuff, when he's beating the shit out of that piano with a stool, mm-hmm. I was like getting like cringe, like I was getting cringed out because I was thinking of like the strings like coming up and like lashing him Oof. in the face, and I was just like, he probably shouldn't be doing that. Like, it's I get- had 
Did you have that feeling thought. too, Bridget? Yeah. No, you're not supposed to do that. Like, you, that's why you have to be very careful. Like, if you're like tuning or doing anything where like the guts of the piano are open, because the yeah. wires are usually so taut that like if you snap them, they'll like send shit exploding, like, and you can like hurt yourself. Yeah, piano piano wire is dangerous. I mean, I yeah. learned that I learned that in Cape Fear, but um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I as far as the kills, I'm glad that it wasn't like a complete gore fest from the beginning. Same. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. I like the slow, deliberate pace of it. Um, I do think that that's probably why you got a bit too much of the dad in the first, you know, two thirds or whatever, because yeah. that was the only murder that had taken place. So therefore, obviously the the story has to kind of focus on finding that girl. I think any more murders and I would have been like, okay, someone's got to catch on here, guys. Like if no one's leaving the house and everyone starts disappearing, like someone's got to be smart enough because you all seem pretty educated and pretty, you know, pretty smart. Someone's going to figure it out. So I feel like it was the exact right, num- right number of murders. Gotcha. Yeah. As far as like, I, I know Zach, you can probably chime in because we've you've seen probably way more horror movies than probably all three of us combined. But uh, Maybe sound as far like a psycho. No. Well, <laughs> Jerry's. I think out. you know, right? Um, but as far as Bridget and Adam, like, where other movies have failed? Like, what other slasher movies? Where? What are some movies that you watch that you're disappointed in that this movie sort of excelled at? Ooh, certain things that I don't like in other movies that I do I mean, like. I mean, yeah, I mean, Zach, you're welcome to answer it too, but I'm just saying it's like, because Adam and Bridget may have not seen a lot of horror movies, or not as enough as, enough as you, but, like, again, maybe like a movie that you thought everyone really liked, like a Halloween movie, or like a... Oh, good, I like it. Movie. So, like, how did that movie fail, and this movie work out for you? So very, very important for a horror movie to be memorable, which is which is to be expected that you'd ex- you would want that from any movie but for a horror movie to be memorable is very important and then for it to actually make you think about it um you know afterwards and then going forward in your life like when you're in a certain situation like uh if you're if you're in the shower and you think of psycho something like that yeah. at the top of some stairs and you think of the exorcist or you know um so to me, this movie sort of does that. It's the eye, like you guys were talking about the eye mm-hmm. in the crack of the door. It's like, oh my gosh, when you realize that someone's looking at you, that is a that is like a terrifying, mm-hmm. uh, instinctive, <laughs> uh, like uh, the the feeling when you notice a face is watching you, when you notice that there's eyes on you that you weren't aware of before. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that yeah, is that's a, horrible. That, that is like my go-to like nightmare scenario like looking like just sort of la-di-da and it's nighttime and then seeing a face looking at me Ugh. in the window and like the rest of like my nightmare like it doesn't even go beyond it's literally like just the horror of being seen mm-hmm. and right. seeing it back like which this movie like has a lot of so i don't know how much of this was intentional or how much like emphasis i'm putting on it now thinking about it but one of the first notes that i had on here which actually tied in super well to the ending and that scene with the eye through the doorway is one of the first because like as we've been watching these movies i try to pick up on things like in the background that are funny or you know whatever to to be able to bring them to the discussion and one of the very first things that stood out to me was the very first time we go to claire's room she's got that big mural on the wall And the mural on the wall is a flower where the center of the flower is an eyeball. 
And the stuffed Ooh. animal on her bed has the two biggest, creepiest eyes I've ever seen <laughs> until the creepy eye that we see at the end. So, like, wow. I don't know if that was, like, an intentional setup for, like, a imagery that is that will come back later or if I'm just now overanalyzing the crap out of it and putting it together. But, like, in my own headcanon, I think that's really cool that the yeah. very first kill you see this eye – and the really the only time you get a really good look at the killer is his eye. And right. so, like, again, I don't know if that's intentional. I don't know if Zach and any of like your research where you're, you know, pulling the fun facts from, if that was any kind of like, oh, he really loves the imagery of the eye and wanted to incorporate that or whatever. Right. Um, well, you know, what I mean, I... Me, it makes me think of the telltale heart. Mm. Uh, if you guys recall that there's a tiny sliver of light on the eye. And that's what drives the killer mad enough. It's the eye. And he needed to see that like in the spotlight in order to be motivated to reach that level of rage to actually commit the murder. Right. Right. Um, yeah. I Listen, I think a lot of times it's there's definitely creative situations or scenarios where the director or producer will probably say, hey, let's at, let's put like more symbolism for an eye or more or something like that. Let's make the eyes bigger on the animal. Um I think sometimes, too, it's a lot of just maybe the art department getting a copy of the script and what they need to have in the scene, like at any given mm -hmm. time. And they understand that there's a big emphasis of an eye being shown in the third act. So, like, let's let's make let's get an animal that has like the big eyes or whatever. But it, again, I think it's really up to the viewer to decide how important that is or not. Yeah. And uh, it's not. It's not like a oh Adam, you can't. How could you be so stupid? You know what I mean? It's like it's like it's it's absolutely a detail that like I think that you either run with it or you don't, and it's I think it's a very cool thing that you, you oh, notice. Oh, definitely. It. Well, yeah, like like I said, like uh, that's it. It could just be headcanon to me, and it could just yeah. be a thing that like I piece together as we're analyzing this. But if it's a directoral choice, or a you know, if it was a stylistic choice on the day to like use that for the bedroom like backdrop or whatever it's like either way like i just think that's a cool little thing that whether it's me just as a takeaway or it was intended i think it's cool regardless so <laughs> right right but i to zach to what you were saying as far as memorable horror movies i absolutely think that's the hallmark of a good horror movie that it's one that gets under you under your skin in a way that it either you have feared this object this place or this time before and it like taps into that fear and it either accentuates it or it introduces a new fear yes. to you that like going forward that you're just like terrified of the shower or the attic or the basement or getting into a car at night or, or what have you. But oh, the backseat of a car for me, I would imagine. It's probably, well, whatever you get in, you look back in the backseat of the car sometimes when you get into the car at night. I mean, I think some people do that. They have no idea if something's just sitting back there. Yeah. But I mean, again, there, there. I'm sure there's horror movies or something like that would introduce that. But I think for this, it would be like someone being in your house and not even knowing it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there are there are horror stories, like true, real horror uh, stories of people who are squatters and dwellers in people's houses, and they mm -hmm. have no idea about it for months. And like yeah, they they're there at night, and, they're they're yeah. in their bed, and they hear things at night. They tell their family and their friends, and they think they're crazy. And then come to find out after like really searching well or knocking out a wall or whatever, it's like there's a sleeping bag in there and like cliff bar wrappers and like a <laughs> knife. And it's like, <laughs> like who has been living there? And there's, yeah, exactly. It's just like, there's like a calendar with like X's marking off. And it's like, yeah. it's like, <laughs> like, oh my like day to kill. Like, um, but yeah, I think this movie absolutely does create a fear if it already wasn't there that 
that there might be someone or something lurking in your house that again i have an attic space i have a crawl space in my condo never been up there my, my inspector went up there once and said there's nothing up there i trust that guy like yeah. i hope <laughs> hopefully there's nothing up there but um, he's living there now just fyi oh he's living there yeah, yeah. exactly yeah, yeah i heard some things last time and i checked and he's up there <laughs> seems like a cool dude i don't know but uh yeah i think this this movie would have been uh an okay movie to me until the end where it was like He's still up in the attic, and the phone's ringing, and the credits are rolling, and I'm like, okay, that was a good horror movie. Hmm. Um, um, Bridget, Bridget, what about you? I know you said you talked about you like more of the ominous sort of uh, yeah. type of horror movies. Um, can you speak to kind of like what this movie does for you on a visceral horror level, or if it does anything? Uh, uh, and, may, and maybe a movie you compare to that you've seen in the past? I wanted to ask her the same thing. What are you scared of? Um, <laughs> don't what are your fears? Uh, yeah um, as he gets a new fresh page in a pen ready yeah <laughs> um truly like my big thing is like and adam you can attest to this like that night we watched that scene from mulholland drive where the guy comes from out from behind the dumpster like just seeing something scary like <laughs> is the most scary thing to me <laughs> which is why i don't i don't generally go for like more of the like your classic like Jump slasher or more like I guess traditional horror films I like more of like I would like something psychological and like mind games and like sort of like you know like a Buffalo Bill versus uh Freddy Krueger kind of thing right and I and um, I think this and I think this movie very much does that though because it's ground it's grounded there's mm-hmm. no mysticism there's nothing surreal about it really mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. is that it's all can be Again, it's a movie that could be copycatted, which is why you sort of talk about the the, the Bundy stuff, and it's just yeah. like the scenario is there, like the 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 the, mm-hmm. the the ground is laid out for anyone else to copy this out. No one can really yeah. copy Freddy Krueger. Yeah, really. Exactly. <laughs> and it's like I like a movie that, like you know, you have you have layers of fear. You have this sort of like the overarching fear of like there is a man in your attic and he is going to kill you. But then you have these sort of like larger fears that are applicable to everyone, you know, like, you know, fears of relationships falling apart, fears of pregnancy in some cases, um, Mm. you know, uh, just like fear of losing a child. And like, you kind of like use those to build up and like make your larger umbrella fear more scary in some mm-hmm. ways and that's something i really like that's probably um, why you like, mentioned rosemary's baby earlier too right mm-hmm. yeah yeah like Rose that's a whole baby. different type of horror yeah and even like the exorcist is i would say is more in that camp than um say than it's in like the sort of flasher camp even though it's got like these very gory gross out elements right um Probably, I guess, like, The Shining, too, of, like, you see this person's sort of, like, slow descent and, like, the family falling apart. Like, that's sort of where I lean. But this, to me, this movie does both well. Which nice. I like. Yeah. Like, it started playing again. Like, I know Adam had said, like, after the movie stopped. I think it was you, Adam. Yeah, like, yeah. Terminator, Terminator. Just started. Well, Black Christmas just started over, and I just watched it again. <laughs> we started talking. I was like, I can't wait to watch this again and see if I can catch things or like 
it's a really rich movie which i like there's a lot to like you can dig and unpack and kind of like go down these different rabbit holes of like how did you tap phones in 1974 <laughs> yeah. Where's the i love the chaos of tracing the phone <laughs> i think it's accurate so yeah right? i need to it i need to probably, know more about 1970s is. phone tracking like what warehouse is he in? Like, what phone master data center is he at? And how far, like, how many football fields? Like, you know, you see those videos of, like, server farms and whatever, where it's yeah. just, like, 16 football fields and just stacks of wires and servers and whatnot. It was, he was in one of those. And I want to know how much running he was doing with his little, like, phone tap-in phone. That oh, was, yeah, like, yeah. I would, you know what I love, too, is, like, whenever he was receiving the phone call or something like that, that, like, something was going to happen or he needed to tap something, he was sitting next to some, like, purple light bulb from, like, Spencer's. Like, <laughs> it was like, what does that thing do? Everything in there was... Yeah, exactly. Um, but, yeah, it just... It, the, the scenes of him tracing the phones were so chaotic, and I was surprised to see how mechanical everything was to sort of it was he was look he was trying to hear for like zips and zaps like running through yeah. alleys and <laughs> and even when he got there I still didn't know what he found he was just no. like yep this is it I'm like I don't see anything different yeah, what are you looking I'm not for? A, like yeah I'm not a those... guy like that but you know I don't know what you found clearly you I'm do, not a guy but, like that <laughs> yeah I, I don't, I've never worked the phones you know um, yeah. going back to the um just the thought process of like the type of horror that it is uh, one of the things as I was watching it that it kind of jumped out at me was how much this kind of feels like jaws so i'm not entirely surprised that like you've enjoyed it as much as you did bridget because it is very much that unseen fearful element mm -hmm. it's picking people off from you know an area that should be contained like you should know that beach area has mm -hmm. the bad guy in it so you think stay away from that and you're fine but like people don't really realize that in this instance yeah. yeah exactly and so um i kind of got that vibe of like the unseen assailant everyone knows kind of what to expect but nobody knows like where it's going to strike next and you don't even know necessarily like in jaws you don't know how big the shark is you don't know if it's the biggest shark ever you don't know if it's a megalodon you don't know if it's a baby you just know it's killing people okay. same thing with this dude you don't know if he's six eight 300 pounds or if he's you know just a normal dude who's like five ten uh, buck 80 like who's his just hands look pretty big climbing that lattice i'm like it looks like andre True. the giant is scaling the size of a house in chicago right now yeah i mean he's obviously not you know a petite person uh, but you don't know the size comparatively because you never really get to see a, a full body shot so right. that kind of that kind of element to it uh, i really liked yep that's kind of what makes him su such a memorable powerful villain is the ambiguity yeah i will say disclaimer though to johnny's point about this being um something that you could uh reenact don't <laughs> yes <laughs> from a legal standpoint yeah, from a liability no. standpoint no matter how easy it seems don't do it we're not advocating for that <laughs> guys it's really sad this movie when you think about the and it's it's just so real it's like if you turned on the news tonight something similar could easily be on the news and it's so sad like a girl killed in the park and you know bunch of sorority sisters police mishandling yep yeah, no, that's I guess that's why I like it because it it has that sort of like sounds of the lamp, like real world horror murderer that could easily do all of this um, out being surreal or you know having to sort of like a lapse your uh, your belief or anything in in anything with the movie. Mm -hmm. 
so I have one thought, and I know earlier before we talked about, before we saw the movie, I think there was kind of a place for sequels in this. Like, this guy could have kept doing his thing and, like, never being revealed and going to a different house and staking his claim up in the attic or in the basement or living in the walls. And even though they probably wouldn't have been that great, I probably would have fell in that rabbit hole and watched all of them anyways and probably enjoyed them nonetheless. But I think there was a place for sequels for Black Christmas. Well, I think there are a couple. I, I quickly typed Black Christmas sequel in here. Uh, and the first thing that came up is a 2016 movie called Black Christmas, The Night Billy Came Home, uh, which is based on the world of reality where the sorority of Phi Kappa Sigma is being stalked and preyed by an unknown killer. Seems like it's probably the same kind of plot. Um, but wait. I mean, it's the same reason why the Halloween movies and everything else, that while they most of them mostly work, is because you a, a formula works from the beginning and you stick to it. I mean, you just move the setting or the characters or the time, but everything else is the same for the most part. And that's kind of why I think people enjoy revisiting those sequels is because even though it's sort of the same thing, it's uh, it works. I I don't know what to say about it. I mean, I wouldn't Black Christmas two to be any different from this one. Just different people. Yeah, it uh, doesn't look like there is any uh, any actual sequels. I think the one that I just read out was a, like a fan thing. Um, but because the only things listed under the Wikipedia page for Black Christmas film series is this Black Christmas that we watched, Black Xmas, which is the Christmas 2006 one that's got like Mary Elizabeth Winstead and, and a bunch of other people. I like um, and, then, and then the 2019 remake, which is, you know, a Blumhouse one, which, you know, they make good horror movies, so... I actually wouldn't probably, you know, mind checking that one out. Uh, but yeah, it doesn't look like there's any point. actual sequels, which means we will never really know who if who Billy is or you know whatever if he's Jerry or yeah. yeah <laughs> so I remember, I remember reading something the first time I saw it that they tried to go into more of an explanation of the background of of uh, Billy or whoever this killer is. And so I thought I was reading about at least one sequel that maybe we haven't discovered yet, but, uh, is it the novelization? Cause I was reading there was perhaps a yeah. that was put out like later, which is like typical of this time. Like, like movie comes out and you have a book comes out that like fleshes out like a lot of the plot that like is not covered in the film. Maybe, yeah, yeah, maybe that's time. what I was. A lot of times those will be based on like the sh- not the shooting script, but the like original script treatment. And therefore mm-hmm. they'll have those extra things that got put on the cutting room floor. So interesting. I'm reading when it was going to be on TV, it was going to be called Stranger in the House. Well, that's like... a dead giveaway. I can't do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, right. And there was another title also, um, an original title that I didn't write down. But uh, the the director, Bob Clark, came up with uh, Black Christmas because um, it was in contrast to the movie White Christmas. Mm, that makes sense. And also, also just the idea of something so horrific happening during such, you know, a time of cheer and happiness. Um, so the, the screenplay was under the title of Stop Me. That was the... Um the other title. I yes, that's the original. 
I know Sorry. what a terror. I yeah. just hear Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody, Somebody stop, stop, stop me. Yeah. Oh, now we can sync up, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now that we're not trying to. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's completely accidental. Um, yeah, that would have been a terrible name for this movie. It wouldn't have done anything. Black Christmas is a cool name for this movie, even though it doesn't yeah, necessarily like it spell out what it is, other than it's not cheery, it's not White Christmas. It's very much the antithesis of that. Um, but Stop Me would have been terrible. <laughs> a terrible name. If you told me that there's this great horror movie about, uh, it's called Black Christmas, and it's about like uh, killings that happen during Christmas, I'd be like, oh, that's so tacky. Like that, you know, that's such a novelty thing. I, I don't know. Like, of course they did that, and it's got to be stupid. It can't possibly be good. But it, it was excellent. Mm-hmm. It's like a classic horror movie. Right. Quick thing that I found reading this, Olivia Hussey, the the girl who played Jess, yeah. was at a Bravo interview, and she had mentioned that she met Steve Martin once and told her that Steve Martin said it's one of his favorite movies of all time. Huh. <laughs> I love it. There you go. That's, that's pretty cool. What were, Does that what mean you we saying? can put Black Christmas in the John Hughes extended universe? <laughs> Steve Martin-iverse? Yes, we can. Steve Martin yes. said so. Yeah. So, you know, we've we've kind of had these discussions about some of the other movies we've seen um, in terms of, you know, where they fall or why they may or may not be culturally relevant. I mean, we talked about that a little bit with like Plain Streets and Automobiles and a lot more now with the Christmas stuff of like, why isn't Scrooge on TV all the time? Why are some of these other things more classics? I, I don't feel like this is one of those things where it's ever talked about as a, like a must see necessarily like it's on lists and it makes these things that, you know, when you're trying to come up with the top 30, whatever things that wouldn't normally sneak in, but given everything we've talked about in this episode and how high on it, we all are and how much we enjoyed it. Why do you guys think this isn't kind of up there either in the upper echelon of off the beaten path Christmas movies or horror movies in general, given the fact that it does very much seem like a prototype to the Renaissance, the horror Renaissance of the late seventies, you know, eighties and beyond. Right. It's because I mean, go ahead, Zach. I mean, obviously I think, you know, what you're going to say too, but essentially it's, it's, it's in the shadow of all these Goliaths that came just a year or two later on. It just, it just Halloween upped it up by doing it that much better in every aspect of this movie. And going forward, I think it just got it just got forgotten because of that. It just and people, I think, need to give it due credit for what it did. Oh, yeah. Um, and I'm certainly one of them. But I think the fact that yeah, I am reading about sort of, you know, why there isn't sequels or whatever. And for the most part, people are pointing to the fact that you know, John Carpenter's Halloween came out not too much longer after that. And then this sort of just never became round or popular and it just never made its rounds on uh, on TV for that reason, and I th- I think star power too. I mean, I listen. Uh, Lois Lane, what's it, who she played by again? Margot Margo Kidder. Kidder. She doesn't have the sort of star power that say uh, Jamie Lee Curtis has for Halloween. I just hmm. think a lot of the time you don't see like the sort of exposure because it just doesn't have the star power behind it. Hmm. That's a good point. And then what I was gonna say is. Kind of what I what I was saying that I wouldn't have been interested if you just told me, oh, it's this horror movie based on, you know, it, it happens during Christmas and it's like, oh, the terrible killings during Christmas. It just sounds so corny, like such a cliche. That's so, how we signed up. <laughs> yeah, right. 
But I feel like you wouldn't seek it out as a horror movie. If you're looking for a good horror movie, you don't say, oh, yeah, let's watch the one about Christmas. True. Yeah, yeah I, I think True, it's the ho- yeah. yeah, I was going to say, I think it's ultimately the holiday that, you know, because this movie is very similar to Halloween in a lot of respects. But you go you gravitate towards that uh, in the genre because it's centered around the spooky holiday and the spookiest time of the year, not the most magical, wonderful time that is Christmas. And so, like, right. this isn't going to get play at Halloween because it's about Christmas, though it probably should, given how, you know, Christmas technically starts the day after Labor Day and sometimes before, depending. <laughs> um, I feel like you totally could. You could set up, like, you could play this on Halloween or the night before or the night after when people are still right. in that spooky mode. But now they've transitioned into thinking about Christmas. I feel like there's kind of a missed opportunity there. But, yeah, yeah I kind of think it's the, the holiday that. I think I think I think where it fails too with Christmas is that he's the holiday has almost nothing to do with the motivation or anything to do with the killer whatsoever. With Halloween, he's using that day as a cover to go around killing people because no one's stopping a guy walking around town with a mask on on October thirty first. Here, it's just and I think you asked Zach this earlier before we started was whether this movie has anything to do with Christmas. To move the story forward in any way. Unlike where it's Halloween, Halloween moves the story forward. It catapults the movie. It has very much everything to do with the movie. Christmas here is a backdrop and it's used sort of as a marketing, if anything, for like, ooh, a horror movie has something around Christmas. Beyond that, you take the Christmas element out of it. I don't think the movie changes at all. Yeah, that's true. You just have another... You just come up with another reason to mask a murder that isn't caroling. Like that's really the only right. The only time it impacts the, uh, you know, effects of the most movie. Most of the sorority would have to leave for some for some reason. It could have taken place during spring break. Yeah, summer vacation. Yeah. You know, something like that. It yeah. could have been. Yeah, it just was just not as important as something that has it. Yeah. So. Yeah. What about you, Bridget? What do you What do you think this the failing of this from a cultural standpoint is? Well, I think, you know, it's it's a movie that's definitely ahead of its time. Um, and, like, you know, so much comes after it that, like, is seen as the benchmark, right? Um, I will say, I think it does, like, the fact that, that we've had, like, a couple remakes, like, this is, like, a movie I've, like, heard talked about more and more, I feel like, recently. Like, I was trying to find, like, Google Analytics of, like, how often Black Christmas is searched to see if there are, like, trends over the past couple of years, like, if you see increases in stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but unlike our phone tapper in the movie, I am not <laughs> that skilled. You're not a so guy I have like the information for you. Um, what I will say sort of about the, the sort of failure of like the movies i guess lack of like cultural longevity or impact like on a kind of broad level um it's a movie that is groundbreaking but still is enjoyable beyond just the fact that it's like doing these new things which isn't always the case like you can think of like you know, people were stunned and thrilled like the first time they saw a train coming at them in a movie theater, but like that, like it's not moving the needle for us anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you think about like books like Uncle Tom's Cabin, hugely influential, not great or enjoyable to read necessarily. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Whereas this has like 
really innovative and like you can still go back and like enjoy it too at least i can yeah and like appreciate it so i have i have hope that it will the bubble will just continue to grow finally get its finally get its due now that it's maybe you know what maybe this will be the catalyst it'll be this podcast right here 2020 did it yeah the deep dive quitting my job and like standing (laughs) on a street corner ringing a bell Please go watch Black Christmas. It's so good. I couldn't be happier with the response that you guys have had to the movie. I'm so happy that you enjoyed it. Yeah, and I honestly, I think, I mean, I think this was this way with Jaws too. But I feel like this is the most universally loved thing we've done in the very early part. You know, six episodes in or whatever, where I feel like at the end of it, everyone was. I mean, and Jaws was this way too. But I feel like this this one was different because none of us had seen it and we all came away with oh my god it's it's amazing and it's wonderful versus like you know maybe the new person didn't like it as much or the people who had seen it now like it less like i feel like this is the right. most you know universally praised thing we've come out of cuz yeah other than like my gripe about the end which i went over it isn't even a deal breaking gripe the way that some endings can like totally undo what you think or what you just did for the last two hours um, <laughs> that all that is like that piece of it aside i like i loved every every part of this movie up until the last five seconds <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think this movie with all the movies that we have done so far on this podcast had everything going against it like all the other movies that we've watched or screened are considered classics and a sort of the reason why we started at the beginning, like, are you kidding me? You've never seen blank. And I don't think this can be said about black Christmas though. I would say after watching it, there might be a small argument for why you have not seen it. Like, why have you not seen black Christmas? So I'm glad to have watched it. I really enjoyed it. I, the movie, the last 30 seconds saved it for me, not save it for me, but it bumped it up at least a point or two for me. Um, with the fact that it was completely ominous killer and he's still up there in the attic with Claire with a bag over her head, and uh, <laughs> and 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 Mrs. Mac. We can't forget about Mrs. Mac and her with a um, hook in her oh, face. Oh. Her when that face. hook came swinging in, I was like, "Holy shit!" <laughs> the way he's holding it, his hands are shaking. He's like yeah. just waiting for the perfect moment. Yeah, right. It's like, "Oh my gosh, you creepy fella!" Yeah, um, but <laughs> you creepy fella. You uh, creepy fella. I, I, you creepy fella. I really enjoyed it. Uh, we'll see if it becomes a uh, a holiday staple. Uh, but uh, it's I enjoyed it. I'm glad to have watched it. Yeah, I'll, I will I'll... show my children Black Christmas before I see <laughs> Santa Claus. That's all I'm saying. Um, I love that. That's, that's really funny. Yeah, I don't think I'll ever say to anyone going forward now, like, how could you have not seen Black Christmas? Because mm-hmm. like I get it. Um, instead, it's going to be like, oh my god, you have to like. And that's part of it too. It's not necessarily the oh my god, I can't believe you haven't seen it. But I think the the point of the you know the podcast and what we're kind of doing is to be like, you have to see these movies that either everyone or at the very least someone in your life tells you is a is a can't miss. And while it doesn't miss, like I don't know what time of the year I'm going to show people this or tell them they should watch it. I do think it's something that people need to see, especially if they like christmas adjacent movies that maybe have the holidays a backdrop but isn't the focal point or like horror movies and want to see something that was like you said bridget like way ahead of its time um uh, this is this points directly to that and you know start to finish i i was 
I was on the edge of my seat for a lot of it. You know, I was, <laughs> I had the blanket curled up, you know, like by my yeah. face or whatever for a couple parts, you know, but, um, but guys, yeah, one I, more, one more tidbit for you. Um, sure. what, this was released in 1974, as we've stated several times, mm-hmm. but it was actually released on December 20th. Oh, okay. So, so an actual Christmas release or Christmas yeah. time. Okay. Imagine how that landed. People were probably like, this is fucking creepy as hell. It, this could really have, I'm sorry. Am I supposed to swear? You're not. So, well, uh, I've been doing it. Yeah, you can't <laughs> it's not like a mandate. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. you know, I feel like people would, the realist, the realism of it, the fact that it could happen in your real life. And now it's actually Christmas time when you just watched it. This must've been really scary when it first dropped. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. I, 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 I like it. I think I think go Adam. I was just gonna say I think that it's it doesn't surprise me that it came out around that, that time just because normally there is that like holiday release window, at least nowadays, where you've got your standard, you know, Christmas fair of the Santa Claus or last Christmas or you know, your Hollywood version of the Hallmark movie that comes out on December or whatever. And then you've got the comedy for the you know, that's Christmas related, but then you've got the one that like the Scrooges want to go see. And I feel like that's what, what this is, is like, oh, I don't want the cutesy right. Christmas movie. I want to go see someone get murdered. Um, but uh, still, I still like Christmas. So here we go. Yeah. I, I think, I think in general with like the, the Christmas movies, like I think that's kind of where I was going to land at what you were talking about is that there are like the movies that everyone sees all the Christmas movies. So I think a lot of people are sort of looking for that next, like how not Christmas classic. And I'm not even essentially talking about something new, but I'm glad that we found something that's like it's 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 now it's I understand why people consider it like the best one of the better horror movies of all time. But no, I, I am curious to kind of look and, and research a couple of things with this movie, particularly about, again, the things that it sort of invented. But also um, now that I'm thinking about it, like, was there ever a movie that went against the grain of Christmas charm and, and joy with this type of movie? Was there like another adult-oriented comedy, Christmas comedy that went against sort of Thirty Fourth on a Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street or any of those type of movies? Well, Krampus. Yeah. Are you, but are you talking about back then, like an older? I'm talking about back. I'm talking about back then. Yeah. They have a horrible movie with Kane the Wrestler in it. <laughs> That's Christmas related. Yeah, I think so. I think he plays like a demented Santa Claus, like pull you by your throat up the chimney. Is it called Christmas with Kane? <laughs> I don't. Yeah, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's not about Christmas. But I think Kane you're thinking of Santa. Are you thinking of Santa Slay with Goldberg the wrestler? Perhaps I think he's like suplexing people too. Hmm. Uh, I think Zach, you need to get a pen and paper or get work opened and start writing a screenplay and get it in Vince McMahon's mailbox <laughs> by yeah. the end of the month. Because I think Christmas with Kane sounds but, so good. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, uh, all right. Well, I saw yeah. I saw Zach's wife peeking, so I think we got to wrap it up. Um, but any any final thoughts, Zach? Anything that you wanted to to add in that we didn't let you add at the beginning or anything like that? I have had ample opportunity to share. It was wonderful. Uh, okay. I'm. I just. I feel really good. I. I think the. The fact that you guys wanted to give a movie like this a shot was great. And the fact that you've enjoyed it so much, maybe we can spread the word that people should see this. Oh, yeah, we're absolutely going to. <laughs> yeah. We're going to we're going to spread it every, uh, tomorrow or 
you know, every Thursday at 9 a.m. on Google Play, iTunes. It's <laughs> uh, a perfect segue. So you may as well yeah. plug it now. <laughs> yeah, we're going to spread this all throughout Google Play, iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, and Spotify. It's this, along with every other episode, goes up Thursday at 9 a.m. on all those places. Um, but yeah, that'll, uh, I think that'll do it then for uh, this episode of Fine, I'll Watch It. Uh, remember, you can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at Broken Clock Pods. Uh, so let us know if you had seen Black Christmas ahead of this episode, uh, what you thought of it, if you went back and watched it, you know, like we did, or if you're going to go back and watch it, let us know what you think of uh, of Black Christmas. Uh, Zach, I want to thank you for, for coming in and being our special guest uh, this week. I definitely appreciate it. I know we've talked to you about possibly coming on for future episodes where you're going to be on the hot seat for some movies you maybe haven't seen um so we'll we'll make sure to get you back in again but the thanks so much for joining us uh this absolutely. week absolutely my pleasure i had a lot of fun um so this this episode obviously will is up if you're hearing it now on on christmas eve so just want to to put out there uh, have a merry christmas everybody stay safe lock your doors and windows uh if the call's coming from inside the house just look at that caller id now um and we'll uh we'll stay take it from yeah, exactly. But uh, but once again, uh, for fine, I'll watch it. My name is Adam. I'm Johnny. I'm Bridget. And I'm you're Zach. Zach. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. All right. Merry Christmas, guys. Bye.